Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Okay, everybody, here we are. It's Iron Radio. This is Phil. I'm a strength coach. I run strength field. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. Everybody, Lonnie is, uh, he's out today battling computer issues. So, yeah. What's going on? It's Dr. Mike Nelson here, uh, owner of Extreme Human Performance. In fact, a member of the Kerrig Institute, Flex Diet Cert creator, a bunch of other stuff. I'm actually hanging out in La Jolla, California here at the Ancestral Health Society. And we have a guest today. Just say briefly who you are there. This is uh, Dr. Chris Lockwood. Uh, and like Mike, I think uh, a little bit of everything background. So hopefully uh, I can give some more clarity on my time in the supplement industry and fitness industry and publishing side. So nice to finally make everybody's acquaintance. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, thanks for coming on here. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, I've got uh, one study here I'll talk about briefly, and then we'll see if Phil has any other news, and then we'll get into Dr. Lockwood's background, and then we're going to talk about the the old supplement industry today, but more focusing on how to make it specific to consumers, like what are things as a someone who's kind of outside the industry, what are questions you should ask, what are things you should look for, because I'm sure we all get questions about xyz supplement company and you know not only is it just useful but you know how do we know it's what we think is in the bottle actually <laughs> so i got a study true. here yeah uh lonnie sent this over to us before he had all his issues there at the computer strength and muscle sport news it says skipping breakfast before exercise creates a more negative 24-hour energy balance Randomized controlled trial in healthy, physically active men. Uh, this is from uh, Dr. Robert Edinburgh. Uh, this is from the Journal of Nutrition. And just briefly going to go over what they, they found here. I literally uh, just got this this morning. It looks like it was published literally just the not too, not, not too far away recently. So that's good. Um, so what they did is they took 12 healthy uh, young males, did three trials in a random order, which they separated by a week. They had a breakfast of oats and milk, followed by rest. So that's kind of their, looks like the breakfast group. They had a breakfast before exercise group. So they did 60 minutes of cycling at 50% of peak output. And then they had an overnight fasting before exercise group. They did a whole bunch of fancy measurements and What's cool is it looks like they did a, maybe even a tracer here with some glucose infusion. Uh, so the 24-hour energy balance, they said, was about a negative 400 uh, calories for the, looks like the exercise group. And, oh, I see, they compared the two. This is for the fasting uh, exercise that was lower than supposedly for the breakfast group and did some other measurements too and their thought process here is that maybe the liver glycogen 
carbohydrate levels in there is just playing a role. Um, yeah, so their conclusion, which again, always reading just a conclusion, can be a little bit scary. In healthy men pre-exercise breakfast omission creates a more negative daily energy balance and could therefore be a useful uh, diet strategy. Um, so could be interesting. Mike, Oh, they go collect, ahead. Uh, blood? Yeah, did yeah, they, they collect, collect any blood? blood? That's uh, what I'm looking at here. It looks like they did, but it looks like this is only like Yeah, it looks like they did a, well, that's odd. They did an in, indirect calorimetry, but it says they use a Douglas bag. So it makes me think this is from like 1972, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, they did blood sampling here, uh, so they did grab that, but I don't see... They looked at dietary energy intake, and they looked at the effects of the trial. They looked at plasma leptin and FGF21 concentration, but it doesn't look like they measured much else. Plasma glucose, muscle glucose, energy expenditure, lipid use, but it doesn't look like they had much else actually so hmm. yeah, i'd wonder what's actually one going on and then does that effect actually stay over time does that just get ameliorated by maybe those people eating more later in the day or things like that it looks like they only did 24-hour energy balance just on the different trials so obviously a very acute intervention which yeah interesting right but then the next question yeah is, absolutely does this you know hold up over time so if we look at someone over months to weeks, things of that nature, is that effect staying true or does homeostasis and appetite regulation just kind of ruin it once again? <laughs> and did they, did they control for uh, the like post, uh, post-cycling meal, uh, the timing? Did they have them refrain from eating until, you know, a couple hours after the cycling or did they just go direct ad libitum after that it looks like the post meal i don't believe was controlled it doesn't look like it i can read it in a little more detail and report back so that may be interesting to see because as we know right a lot of people even i've noticed this in clients sometimes they do steady state exercise fasted and it's anecdotal but i don't see a lot of changes in appetite with that but i start having people do higher intensity exercise and Man, some people just feel super nauseous for a while and can't eat anything after. And other people appear to get like super hungry. So I've always wondered about the what is the effect of different types of exercise on just, you know, how how you're feeling. It looks like here they said that the remaining food from the day was um, weighed and already sort of prepackaged. So it looks like for 24 hours they're trying to control for some of that. I don't see much about timing per se, though. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if, uh, from a compensatory response, if you know, to your point, I mean, whether that is uh, whether it's waking up and you get that, you know, uh, bright light stimulation and you know, immediate cortisol surge followed, and if they've somehow ramped up norepinephrine response. I know that, like in some of the the metabolomics. You know, work that Dr. Mike Roberts and I did years ago. It was, you know, really fascinating. Just look at you could, you know, between different whey proteins, even you know, under fasting conditions, you could see a 
significant amplification of of what you would deem as you know increased metabolism you know from from a specific type of of way and uh and my guess you know when you look at norepinephrine levels they were significantly higher and I'm just curious if that you know could play a role if they're just going into a higher stress state with that kind of exercise. But fascinating. Yeah. Not cool. Yeah. Yeah. As, yeah. Joe Weider, as Joe Weider used to say back in the day, you know, is it, I seems to take, uh, you know, science. I do his voice, but I'm not so sure I'm too early for me to, oh, that y'all say take science. That guy does finally meet up with what the bodybuilders are doing. So, <laughs> that's a pretty yeah. good impression. Oh, well, you know, I spent enough time with him. Uh, rest in peace. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, any news on your end there, Phil? Anything in the oh, controversies? A couple, things. A couple not not really controversies. A couple things. I want to give a shout out. So I'm sitting at the tribute meet last weekend. <clears throat> so it was the IPL tribute meet, invite only meet. I think they gave away one hundred fifty thousand dollars over two days. So uh, it's also amazing lifts. But there was one girl that deadlifted what four forty seven at one ten. 110 um, pounds? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. She's 110 pounds. And, yeah. But anyways, I'm standing there coaching Brian. Uh, some little girl, man. She was amazing. <laughs> and uh, Mariana was there who has the highest uh, Wilkes in history and things like that. So I ended up going out to eat with them and Andre Morinichev and, and so. Oh, wow. But we're sitting there, and I'm coaching Brian through the meet and talking to him. And all of a sudden, I get a tap on my shoulder. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, I recognize your voice. We're Iron Radio listeners. I was like, oh, I'm famous. <laughs> so I just want to give a shout-out to those two people. I'm sorry I don't know your names. I was really busy at the time, but thank you for stopping up and saying hi. Um, it's nice to know that people actually listen to the show. So, yeah, that's very cool. Uh, yeah, other than that, uh, not, much, not much on the news front. It was a good meet. Lots of people won some money. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun to watch. Some huge lifts. So. Very cool. Uh, Seems like there's more money in some of the powerlifting events yeah. now compared to what there used to be. Yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, of a sudden there's, there's some good money going on. I think, like, first place in each. So, so there was two days. One day was wrapped, and one day was knee sleeves. So first, second, and third place um, for men and women, I think it was like 20000 9000 5000 is what they took. Wow. So wow. Time, times two each day. So, I mean, yeah, and... Uh, I suppose if you're a Russian person and won twenty thousand dollars, you just came off pretty good. So that's yeah. a lot of rubles. That's a lot of rubles. So. That is a lot. Yeah. Who's sponsoring it? It's a bunch of people come together. So it, it was by it was but uh, like Pioneer, I think, was the main sponsor, um, and then uh, the Pioneer Belts, and then there were numerous other ones. So there was several different booths there. But uh, that's great. Yeah, it's a good deal, and there's starting to be some money in it. I mean, Brian, just Brian last year, like he took second in that meet last year, so he took home nine grand. We went to another meet, he made five thousand in one day, and so there's starting to be some meets where, uh, if if you're at that top level, you know, you can uh, you can do okay. I mean, pulling in fifteen, twenty thousand extra dollars a year by lifting up heavy things is not a bad, not a bad. No, no, exactly. So. Yeah, all I ever got was a plastic trophy. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, How did Brian do? He did okay. He did good. I mean, I say that. I mean, he, he squatted like 850. He benched 535 and deadlifted in the eights. So it wasn't yeah. his best 
It wasn't his best performance by far, but I mean, still, he took first in super heavyweight, but that was out of the money. There were some freaks in the lighter weight classes, man. Ah, uh, okay. By Wilkes. So, but uh, that was a good time. It was a good time. Cool. Well, I'm uh, I'm a little extra depressed then. I feel like uh, you know I just uh, paid twenty grand to uh, lift a lot of heavy stuff repeatedly as I moved my family. So I, I'd like to get on the receiving end of that one. I know. Yeah. I know. Oh, no. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Cool. So we'll go into a little bit of your origin story here and just kind of tell us a little bit about your background over the next like 10, 15 minutes or so of, you know, how you got into working in the dietary supplement industry. Because I always find that uh, we'll just say there's people of a varied background in history that work in the supplement industry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, mine's probably, you know, not as notorious uh, as some, but, uh, you know, Divine Intervention, I think, is how it started. I, uh, you know, went to undergrad back, you know, years and years ago and thought, uh, you know, paid my way, so I did what most people did, just did it quick and tried to uh, tried to get out and pay off all my loans and worked for Gallo Wine, selling wine and got in a horrible car wreck. Uh that, uh, you know, grace of God, I survived and thought, man, I don't want to die with Thunderbird and Night Train, you know, on my, on my tombstone. So High quality. Yeah, we back. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, what's the life, you know, dollar twice, I mean, basically is what it would have been for me. So, so you know, I uh, went back to school and um, uh, and just had a wonderful mentor there at University of West Florida, tiny school, and was waiting to get in and uh, down at University of Florida and met my wife, met a now wife and met my mentor at the time who asked me to stay. She was biomechanics. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to be a strength coach, you know, so you know, did CSCS years ago and ran gyms, did, uh, did personal training. Like, you know, most people, you know, in our field, in our career. And, uh, I had a, I had a, uh, a, uh, a joy of writing, and so I you know, write for a local newspaper and things like that. And at an NSCA convention in Vegas that I talked on uh, boxing and weight training, which was my dissertation on the boxer's jab, um, the night that Mike Tyson decided Holyfield's ear looked yummy. Um, oh. I gave a I gave a, a lecture to a packed house. Uh, uh, side note, don't ever let your wife, who gets very nervous at the time, uh, fiancé, uh, do your overhead projection slides that are not numbered uh, because uh, I stood up, you know, and uh, she went to go put her first slide on, and they just went sliding everywhere all over the front oh, no. of, the, uh, of the Yeah, so, uh, which became a great you know, probably premonition of my time in the supplement industry, really, uh, you know, just is that it is total chaos and you just kind of got to pick up the pieces and make good with it and occasionally do a little song and dance, you know, just to kind of buy the time. But, um, yeah, you know, that, uh, that presentation, I ended up finding, uh, getting, uh, a call six months later or something from a editor at muscle and fitness that asked if I would be interested in coming on as a, as a writer, I mean, it was back in the day when, you know, uh, publishing was actually king and, you know, there was no internet, there was no intranet for that matter. And, uh, was this early 90s? And so, then? you know, 
Yeah, it was uh, 1997. And okay. so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so quite early. And uh, so I started writing for them. And uh, and then they flew me out, had me uh, uh, come out, and I became a full-time full-time writer uh, for them. And, it, uh, you know, it was, that was a blast at the time. And, you know, it was a, a master's degree in exercise science and getting to add some you know, credibility to the magazine and you know, we can all have a conversation on fitness magazines, bodybuilding magazines and what they had, have, you know, and so on and so forth. And I've heard every criticism about it. And I just know what my role always was on the consumer side. And, um, but, you know, met some amazing people, got to be surrounded by some phenomenal, you know, folks and, but then it became very Laverne and Shirley, you know, I mean, you know, how many times can you write about this month or next month yeah. to get leaner abs? And so I just got, uh, um, more arm articles. Yeah, I know. And it all, you know, it also became, it, it really did, you know, okay. It's, it's January. So it's military issue. And if December mm. it's, you know, back to school issue or whatever it was, you know, and you're like, wow, this is, or, you know, holiday season article. And, and it just it did. It became very cyclical, and it kind of took the joy out of it in that regard. And but um, but met you know like Jeff Stout and Joey Antonio and uh, Jeff Volick and you know uh, you know just uh, Bill Kramer at the time or Rick Kreider and you know and so it was uh, it was a great opportunity for me to work with some you know some researchers that I'd only read about and and do a lot more projects with and. You know, Tudor Bampa was, you know, did a one-year, you know, periodized diet, you know, uh, periodized program and, you know, wrote a you know, periodized diet with, with Tudor as well and some other, I think, you know, I can't remember who, what, who, what nutritionist, maybe Bolick at the time. And so it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun and learning, but uh, uh, I wanted to kind of spread out and do more of the supplement side and, you know, it was not... You guys are, are definitely far more into the, you know, the training side. I always consider myself good, but not great, you know, kind of like my soccer experience. And so I uh, know it, but not, uh, but not, you know, uh, the guy that is going to be sitting there making a, a career out of it. And, and so, but the nutrition supplement side was really appealing. And yeah, I went over to the, uh, what used to be Weeder Nutrition ran American Bodybuilding, if you remember that brand. Um, yeah. Yeah, it showed up. And, you know, it was uh, models that were blowing up because of micro issues. So this was, I don't remember, circa, you know, uh, circa, you know, 2000, 19, well, December 99 is when we started there. Um, you know, it was pre, uh, pre-GMPs, and, but Weeder was way, way ahead of the, of the game. And, from a, from a quality standpoint, standpoint and, and you know, learning, learning from guys, guys like, like with Bucci or, or, you know, you look at, at I mean, John Berardi, who was getting his PhD and, you know, it was being funded through ABB. I mean, you know, some of his research, you know, coming out of Peter Lemon's lab and getting, you know, Peter Lemon was a, was an advisor for us. So now the Ken McCain store sitting in these blue sky R and D meetings with, you know, just some just world-class researchers, you know, talking about, you know, ingredients. I'm like, oh, no, this is, this is something I could get myself into long term. And just, you know, became a sponge and learned every bit of what they did. And, you know, tried to, 
but you know, you know, I was also, I was also young, young and very, very aggressive. Just assumed everybody worked as hard as I did, so I was. Don't mean to be used foul language. I was a total prick to work with because I was just driving people. You know, like oh, you don't want to do this. Like, what's the matter with you? Like, work twenty four hours a day. I just assumed that everybody bled the brand. Thank goodness, you know, Joe liked me and. Brand, brand did really, really well, well under me, and we fixed, fixed it, and it got it where I could sell it to Optimum. And, but, uh, yeah, I'd yeah, love to go, go back in time and maybe get some apologies to folks that, that, that uh, uh, I maybe rubbed wrong. And and after that, that with the GNC, ran the diet division. Somehow, you know, running a $30 million federal business and diversifying it and improving it to make it less legally liable. Somewhat qualified me for a $380 million division of GNC. I don't quite understand the math of that. <laughs> so they, they've never seen my personal finances. So, uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, marketing and science guy through and through. I'm just an idealist and optimist. And so I just assume, you know, that, uh, you know, the accounting side will somebody else will take care of it. I'm lucky enough to have some great people around me. We sold the company twice under my reign. And, uh, you know, or, or the team, the team that, that I was involved in at the at time, time and, but, but yeah, I, it was category, category management, but sales. Sale, so decided, decided to go back and start doing some consulting, consulting and, and you know, from then it was a total change. Uh, started, started doing more of the product, product development. Knew I wanted to get into uh, in the the science side. I mean, obviously the industry by that time it was becoming right on the wall. Uh, on what, on what was, was going to happen, happen, you know, the Ephedra, re, you know, uh, being pulled off shelves, shelves that's yeah. taking action, you know, it was you definitely know, an eye-opener eye for a lot of people in the industry. industry. Um, um, you know, I had, I worked with, when you figure reader and then GNC, a lot of people aren't familiar with what are called consent decrees, FTC consent decrees. You know, with, uh, you know, Joe at Weeder Brands had a lifetime consent decree. That means that the... What does that mean for people listening? Yeah, so I'll use the NCAA kind of examples that, you know, if you're caught for recruiting violations and you're under the death penalty, right, I mean, it'll decimate your program. I mean, so, like, I grew up in the era of, you know, where SMU, you know, here in Texas, you know, was just a, had a killer football program until, you know, they got hit with a death penalty violation, you know, and they're, I don't think they've never recovered since then. Um, it's the it's same. same. FTC will come in. If you're making claims, claim, you, know, you know, Joe and the Weeder brands were, you know, works better, better than steroids, right? right? You can't you make a claim comparing <laughs> products to a drug. And if you, you know, and let's just let's say, say even if you could make that claim, you know, under Deshay, you know, you'd have to be able to substantiate it, which, you know, so, so it was, you know, it's usually, I think the most, most most recent, you know, kind of big example was Iovate years, years ago, ago, back when I was uh, in my PhD program, program and also running the uh, running uh, called back in and, and running muscle fitness muscle fitness editor editor in chief. Iovate got hit with a large consent decree, and you know they're probably the most recent big name to see one similar, but. Uh, so, uh, so learning under that environment, though, taught me a lot on, you know, how to design studies, what kind of claims you could make, how do you, how do you compete in an environment where you also have to be compliant with the FDA, FTC, and if you're, you know, if you, if you're uh, at all, you know, pay attention and are creative, you can come up with ways to market and 
and actually, and actually you know, live to the letter of the law and what and consumers, consumers expect, expect, right? What, what they what should they expect should instead of a safe product that's tested, tested and, and, you know, you're, you're not, not overhyping what, what doesn't, doesn't exist. exist and, and, and so, so after, after, after GNC uh, and, and doing consulting, consulting you, know, you know, working, working with some with fun, fun, fun brands, both infamous and famous, and went back for a PhD, studied under Jeff Stout, did my... I wanted, I wanted to do a very research-heavy research degree, and, and my last, last year in my program, program I was uh, uh, called, called back, back to Muscle Fitness. Fitness. Their sales had tanked, like, like most publications, publications after 9-11. Yeah. And credibility, and credibility was, at, was, at, was, at was at an all-time all low, low, so I was, I was flying back and forth twice, twice a week, week, you know, Oklahoma to, to L.A. Oh, that's brutal. It was, but with a daughter, you know, our daughter was six months old at the time, and our oldest, and but, but, you know, you know uh, again, again, I think an example, example of you, uh, if you, you've got something that you want to accomplish, you know, you'll roll up your sleeves and do it. I think the hardest, hardest thing was, was empathy. I'd come back, on, uh, I'd fly back in on a red-eye Friday morning to Oklahoma or, you know, or late Thursday night, and then I'd be teaching my 9 to noon nutrition class, and I'd have, uh, you know, these undergrads tell me about how stressful their lives were. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't, I don't know, know if I can like really relate to you right now. Smile and nod. Smile and nod. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, uh, but yeah, I did that. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, that was under, you know, David Pecker, whose name's in the news a lot these days. But he's everything you would imagine. And, um, you know, he was not Joe, although I, I did it for idealistic purposes and enjoyed getting Joe back. Involved, involved in it, in it as, as opposed to, to you know, it was late in his time and his health and suffering, and so to watch yeah. him kind of come alive again and come in the office, you know, excited. I enjoyed that. It was my chance to give back to somebody who who definitely put me under his wing, and so I, I uh, regardless, you know, kind of the chaos that working for AMI and Dave Becker created, uh, that to me is a was a great opportunity to give back to somebody who. Who definitely, definitely took care, care of me and my family, and, my family and so, so gave me opportunities. And, and, you know, then, and then finished the degree, and the rest has kind of been history. Just been spending a lot more time doing the scientific side and the technical side, but never leaving my marketing and sales hat. You know, and so it's one of the sides now. I just recently, I've always, you know, since getting the master's, I wanted to be a professor at some point in my career. Changes in the landscape of the industry right now and it's probably a good segue on some more discussion and definitely want to ask some questions about your CBD lecture but you know our industry is in a really bad crossroads in my opinion the supplement side and from a substantiation side it's worse than I ever have seen it from what brands are doing both out of ignorance or just you know choosing not to follow the laws and and so, you know, it's, uh, like I saw the right on the wall, it's a good time, there's an opportunity here, UMHA, University of Mary Hart and Baylor, I start on Monday, I'll be teaching undergrad and upper level sports nutrition, um, they're kind enough to just give me kind of a exercise testing prescription, basic class, I don't know if it's totally, you know, rewrite the book and everything, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and so, so yeah, yeah you know, we have an amazing, amazing lab. lab. It's a great staff. Amazing school. I mean, uh, uh, you know, it's a Christian uh, Baptist affiliated school. school. And so, so, you know, to, to go, go for, for from industry, industry for so long, for so long to not, 
you know, you know to, to, hey, leave, leave your, your, leave your faith, faith at the door, door when you walk, walk in. in. Uh, it's kind of nice not to, not kind of, nice not to have to do that. And, uh, and so just a, a wonderful environment. It's good for my, moved here in my small town in the south again. And, where people, where people actually, actually look, look at, at you and, and want to talk. So, <laughs> me and I've got two amazing kids. My wife's a physical therapist, and I have been adopting, you know, abused and abandoned pit bulls for the last 25 years. And oh, very cool. That's me. There you go. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, this is a perfect time. We're going to take just a super short break here, and then we're going to uh, ask all sorts of crazy questions to Dr. Lockwood here about the, the supplement industry. So, be right back. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit uh, royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Hey, what's going on? It's Dr. Mike T. Nelson here on Iron Radio. Lonnie is out today. We have Coach Phil Stevens here. And we've got our special guest, Dr. Chris Lockwood. We're kind of talking about the supplement industry and then also kind of looking at this more from the consumer side. So if you're listening, what are things you may want to look out for? Maybe a little background in the industry and trying to do more, let's say, consumer, I wouldn't say protection, but 
just trying to educate people so they know what are the right questions and things to ask. And one of my first questions is, <laughs> I get this question all the time, and it's probably one of the most common things I hear, so I know you hear it too, is that, well, the supplements, they're, they're just completely unregulated, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I hear that all the time. You know, it's, it's unfortunate when you not only hear that. And so first, the answer to that is, is no, that's not the case. I mean, there is significant regulation that exists. Uh, at least there are laws, I should say. And so regulation, obviously, is, uh, uh, requires that uh, is enforcement of those laws, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, regulation, regulation and enforcement are two different issues. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, and so we're in an industry, right, where, you know, there have to be laws, which there are, and there's significantly more than there are, you know, the regulations that exist for testing and requirements are more robust than, you know, if you go buy a box of cereal uh, or fresh produce, for that matter. Um, and so there's definitely the laws that exist. Uh, regulation, you know, as far as uh, as far as oversight of the law, well, that's where the the real problem exists. I mean, the SHEA, Dietary Supplement Health Education Act of 1994, you know, has never been fully funded, and so the FDA has never had the personnel, you know, or the you know the resources to fully to fully enforce it. And and this whole thing of you know the internet and direct to consumer sales has just created just you know, and we used to be blamed for the wild west. Wild West, you know, back before the GMPs, you know, the regulations, you know, really hit hard in 2007, 2010 was the full enactment. Uh, and so, but now it's, it's definitely a, uh, there's a lot of people that are doing things way under the radar because they can, you know, and that's the unfortunate thing. And so the third arm of regulation is self-regulation the industry has to have some kind of checks and balances and repercussions for failure to you know to to meet some minimal standard and that should sound pretty familiar if you're a personal trainer i mean you can go get any kind of personal training degree you know or certification excuse me and um doesn't make you qualified doesn't make you safe doesn't make you an effective trainer and you know then there are some nationally accredited certifications, you know, I know, you know, Mike, you and I are, you know, CSDS and, yeah. uh, you know, ACSM, and, and so you have those accredited programs, uh, but to consumers, they have no, no idea, and if a personal trainer hurts somebody, it's up to the, you know, you know, the lawyers, the, you know, litigators of the world to, to seek justice. It's not, the industry themselves, that person can be right back out training people without anybody knowing. The dietary supplement industry, unfortunately, is the same, is that, you know, all it takes is money. And you've seen it, you, know, you may not know the people intimately, but time and time again, people can be found, you know, quote-unquote guilty of some egregious violation of the laws, and they're right back in business with a new new facility, you know, and doing the exact same thing under a new LLC. And... and our industry welcomes them back with open arms as long as they're paying for the trade show space or the advertising. So it's really, it's an unfortunate setting that we're in. Yeah. And that's, what's kind of crazy too, to see sort of um, when you kind of know a little bit behind the scenes or, you know, lack of a better term, the same repeat offenders, right? We know oh, yeah. we can name multiple people in industries where 
oh, this went well, all of a sudden something bad happened, or there, who knows what happened, and then they kind of disappear for a while, and then all of a sudden, you know, I always get interested when I see like brand new companies pop up that appear to have a fair amount of money behind them. My first question is like, ah, I wonder who's doing that? Because it's usually a limited <laughs> number of players, and then you see certain figures who have maybe a more shadowy past all of a sudden show up under a different company name. But to people not in the industry that are kind of on the outside looking in, they're like, oh, oh, it's a new company. It's a different name. It's, it's almost <laughs> sort of mass that they don't know it was related to things that happened before, if that makes kind of sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and to take it another step, I mean, even if they don't have a shady past, the problem is it's such a lucrative industry. And right now being able to sell you know, through the Amazon model or, you know, to sell direct, you know, if you've got a good enough, strong enough social media and, you know, sure. uh, way to get your brand out there. I mean, the margins are too good, you know, and so it's, uh, you know, there's uh, companies, uh, there's one recently that, you know, that I fell victim to. It's why, you know, made the choice to do uh, academia now. I mean, I, you know, after kind of back to back, you know, just, getting the lack of better term is screwed over and the cost to my family. You know, I made the mistake of jumping in with some people that, man, they said all the right things, made all the right promises and, you know, uh, even signed, signed the agreements and you get in there and it's, you know, there's no GMPs being followed. It's purely not just do the minimal. It's just, you know, it's really branding and it's become a marketing only uh, world out there where, hey, if it, you know, if you can just go buy passing results to, to ship the product, you know, go to a, we call it dry lab in the industry. That's where, you know, as long as the lab will say that, you know, it meets micro levels, you know, then it's okay to, you know, at least you can put that in your documentation. It didn't, you know, you're not qualifying labs for who does it right. It's who, who will give you passing results for the cheapest price. And, you know, people aren't doing, legit composition, you know, to, uh, and I'm not saying everybody's, but I will yeah. you know, my, my estimate having consulted for as many companies as I have, you know, if you're not buying from one of the bigger companies with a lot more to lose, you know, or somebody that is doing genuine transparency and I'll, I'll, I'll describe that here in a minute, but you know, nine times out of 10, they're not, they're not qualifying raw materials the way they're supposed to, the way you would expect them to. They're not qualifying finished products the way you would expect them to, the way the law requires them to. They're rubber stamping shelf life on it. You know, I mean, two-year shelf life is just a joke once you learn you know, the, why, how it comes about. And the number of companies that are doing genuine stability testing to verify potency, composition, identity, all the way up to and th uh, to that shelf life within plus or minus five percent. I mean, there's there's a range for different types of ingredients, but sure. dietary supplements. That's that's pretty much the standard. Um, you know, less than nine out of less than nine out of ten. I mean, so you know, if if or excuse me, less than one out of ten are are doing it. I mean, so um, and that's the unfortunate thing when you get into you know, sports nutrition, you know, where everybody's a self-professed genius, you know, and they're not paying, you know, to have uh, people that 
that you know understand you know the right way to 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 do formulations to do analytical testing specifications i mean it is it is really unfortunate as a consumer i struggle you know one of the questions you probably get a lot mike i imagine is like what's a good brand I mean, I yeah get it totally all the time and, and when you know when somebody at your level and somebody at my level can't give them well you got to look for this and that you know and that convincingly should tell them one way or the other um you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, so, you know, best I can do is I offer kind of, hey, here's a red flag is the word for it. Here's the, here's the documentation you should ask for if you really want to. And if they're not willing to do this and these red flags pop up, you know, should <laughs> go find another brand. You know, like I can't tell you that they're not doing the greatest thing. Maybe they just have a horrible customer service department. Uh, but, you know, if they're, uh, if there are certain, you know, telltale signs and step away and, and so, you know, it'd be nice to be able to create kind of a, a tail wags the dog situation right now because uh, more than any time I've seen, there's just a lot of companies that are doing bare minimum. Price by far trumps everything right now. Yeah. Uh, so cheap, cheap raw materials. The companies that are investing in raw material research, uh, the, the raw material companies themselves, brands, they've, uh, there are so few finished companies, finished product brands, you know, that are doing their own innovation. I mean, it has become so dependent on raw material companies to do not only the science and bring the new IP, but also then work as formulators, you know, for these brands. And the brands are doing a wonderful job of marketing themselves as as geniuses and, and marketing, you know, and, and being legit, you know, and you hear that a lot, but uh, but most of the work is being done behind the scenes at the contract manufacturers and the raw material. That, that's where the innovation and actual R&D is, is taking place. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is definitely a tough environment, but it is regulated, quote-unquote. You, know? uh, you know, there's a quote, uh, you know, when you see things like former FDA, you know, when the former director of it, you know, David Kessler, you know, was asked, yeah. You know, that question, you know, will the FDA ever regulate the industry? And the answer is we tried, you know, and you've got documentation of that. You know, it's unfortunate that it's, um, you know, that perception is out there that, oh, it's not regulated. But, you know, his answer wasn't that they aren't regulated. It's that they, they're somewhat impotent uh, to regulate. And I would also add that they don't know where to look. There's... Uh, you know, there's uh, I've, uh, that most recent company I was at. Uh, you know, they got a serv a certification on, uh, from you know NSF came in. I don't have a problem throwing them out there under the bus. It's unfortunate that you know they certify and uh, you know they all they would have had to do is look at the batch records of raw materials versus production. You know, versus the analytical testing to see you know that this company was using expired inventory. To produce, they, you know, they weren't, they weren't qualifying raw materials. You know, NSF passes them, gives them a, a certification. And NSF does some wonderful things, and I give them credit. But, you know, an NSF certification on a label, uh, to me, means nothing uh, when it comes to, you know, hey, if it has NSF or NSF for sport, that must be a good thing. Well, it means they pay money for something. You know, they've known, they know enough that that it's good marketing. It doesn't mean that, you know, but it's, it's, 
it's also an easy GMT test to pass and and make it look like you're doing something that you should, but you're not. And so, um, and so, boy, with that kind of those kind of problems in the industry, how does a consumer navigate it? And and it is it's unfortunate. Yeah. I will. Oh, go ahead. Not just make it sound horrible, though, Mike. Yeah. Is that uh, you know, food industry is no better. I mean, if you've gone into a food yeah. facility, you'll find. You know, and now with all these small brands that pop up, I mean, it is no, no better. And so, and you got to remember that, like, it, I think it's uh, last time I talked to the folks at Supply Side uh, and at IFT, International Food Technology, which is kind of the mm-hmm. same. Those are behind-the-scenes trade shows of the people, Supply Side behind the dietary supplement and natural product side, IFT behind the food side of the industry. And about 80% of the same raw material suppliers and contract manufacturers are dealing with the same people. And so if, if there's a problem, if you know, people criticize dietary supplements but not food, you know, there's a hypocrisy in that is that they really aren't understanding on how closely the two are the same. So, Yeah. Um, you mentioned a couple of terms there, such as GMP and other things like that. So if someone is listening in and, you know, to point out, like, you've been in the industry for quite a while and, you know, not so good things happen to you. I mean, I get questions all the time about XYZ company and, you know, even in cases where I've been fortunate to, you know, sign an NDA, visit the facility, do the touring, you know, trying to do just my back of the envelope due diligence, even if all that looks good and they're not going to show me everything, obviously, I'm not qualified to look through all their paperwork. I'm not an auditor. But I could leave and something might change the next day or the next week or the next month, you know, so it's harder to know. So if you're a consumer, what are some of the things you should kind of ask for? And you mentioned what are some of the the red flags to look out for? Yeah, so there are essentially 10 red flags. And so if people have a little pen and paper, some real some basic ones to look for. One is uh, any brand that claims to treat, diagnose, cure, preventive disease. And so if you see a term like diabetes pop up or heart disease or cancer, if they even use those terms uh, or they use a term like it reduces, you know, inflammation or it, you know, it uh, cures obesity, I mean, or if it's, uh, you know, it treats lactose intolerance. If it's a disease state, then you can't say it. And a company that is making claims uh, that are specific to treating, diagnosing, curing, or preventing a disease, uh, then right there should be your big red flag. That A, they have horrible legal counsel, which tells me that they're not <laughs> they investing <laughs> in that. And they, they also aren't investing in regulatory. And regulatory would involve understanding the shay like what you can and can't say and what what a supplement is and isn't now we can discuss all day long but there's definitely ingredients that have wonderful application against for cancer and things and and where there's obviously a great debate on what what should be allowed and you know we can the grassy knoll on big pharma you know having the influence and all of that is not not that that can't have be discussed, but the reality is is that these are the rules, and so if they're still 
making those statements, it doesn't mean, yeah, I'm flipping the middle finger to the big man. It's that, hey, I'm, I'm probably ignorant to the law, and I'm also not investing in you as a consumer. So if you see them making that, that's a big one. If it's marketed as a drug, I mean, so to use my, you know, one of my former mentors, you know, past ills, I mean, if you're comparing things to steroids, you know, and it's definitely in sports nutrition, that happens a lot. You know, if it's compared to working as well as, you know, like in the nitric oxide side, if they compare it to like a sodenafil, you know, uh, then, uh, then, you know, you need to step aside because, again, if you see terms like 100% safe, no side effects, you know, but they have no clinical evidence, if you invested in no research, then, again, I would step away. I mean, First of all, I've been in enough lawsuits with companies, you know, that we're doing all the right things, and I know better not to say 100% safe because nothing in the world is 100% safe. Right. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe death is 100% safe. Uh, yeah, but, uh, too much water will kill you, too. Yeah, post. Uh, FDA approved, there's no such thing. If you see that, um, just know that, you know, there is no such thing as an FDA approval. Um you know, you know, they're making they're outrageous, outrageous, unbelievable, too good to be true claims, you know, like, you know, if, uh, then I think a lot of people have learned that one by now. Uh, every claim that's made. So if it's if there's a statement, whether it's direct or indirect, uh, we call it a structure function claim. I'll give you an example. It'd be like, you know, green tea has been, you know, has been shown to increase thermogenesis. So, you know, calorie burning. Well, after that statement, there needs to be either an asterisk or a dagger or some kind of thing that also then connects to the that FDA disclaimer statement that must be on that ad or web page or the label, right? And if they're not including that after every claim they make, then you've got a uh, I would I would raise a red flag with that. Here, a big one nowadays is if it's not orally ingested, so I'm seeing more and more topicals again. I mean, this is yeah. circa, you know, pre, pre 2007, 2010 yep. GMP uh, implementation. There was a lot of these going on. And then, you know, it's a body spray, Doc. It's just, you know, that's all it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you know, the delivery mechanisms are wonderful right now. It's, I mean, topically, it's such a great, and we're so much better at it now. And, uh, but, you, but dietary supplements, by law, have to be go through the digestive system. And so a little trick I learned years ago, and I don't mean to say it like, a, you know, like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to lock with the scumbag, but, you know, like uh, the, B, uh, you know, the B12 sublinguals, well, you can't. That's, That's not a dietary, not a dietary supplement, supplement. But, but if you, if you look, look at the companies, companies that are doing it correctly, is they'll say, you know, put it under your tongue, hold it there, yeah. and then they'll add two words at the end that make it a dietary supplement and swallow. And so, yeah. yep. uh, and so the fact that you're stating that it goes through the digestive system. And so anything topical, and, you know, I'm sure you're getting hit with the same Facebook pop-up ads that I do, on certain topical ones that are claiming fat loss and everything else. Oh, yeah. You know, you can't do it. The topicals is under fall under the, the, you know, beauty products, uh, you know, classification that health beauty and cosmetics technically is what it's called, uh, that whole category. And all it can do is give the appearance of, you know, like, you know, makes your skin look 
more vibrant. I mean, so wet, you know, I mean, those types of things, but that's it. Nutrition facts and supplement and structural function claims is another red flag. Protein powders do this a lot. Is that if on the back of that label you see it says nutrition facts and it gives you a nutrition facts panel, but they're making structural function claims all over the place. Now, there are approved nutrition claims, health claims, and there's, and there's a, a very, very set, set specific number of them that can be made under certain conditions, conditions. and you and can, you can kind of look those, those up, and they're pretty, and pretty straightforward. straightforward. Um, um, but, but if they're, they're making, making like a fat loss, loss claim, or they're, they're making, making you know a muscle, muscle building claim that's you know beyond you know a generic you know that protein and amino acids support muscle protein synthesis, that's a really basic nutrition claim that's accepted. But if they're they're making making pretty pretty robust robust structure function claims or they're quoting, you know, scientific evidence, you know, know, um, based on that product, product, but they've got a nutrition fact panel, then that's a violation of both the food law and the dietary supplement laws. So it's mismarketing. And so they would be deemed for adulteration. One of the areas I've seen this a lot is in the RTDs. So in the energy drink category, kind of the big hit is companies that don't want to be classified as a dietary supplement, and they're kind of getting around it by, oh, we're a food, look, we're a nutrition facts panel. But they're they're definitely marketing themselves like a dietary supplement. They're making claims. There's a new energy drink that, you know, definitely like I'm seeing out here in Texas that getting a ton of shelf space, you know, making tons of claims, claiming that BCAAs and creatine and, you know, you know, using a nutrition yeah. facts panel. So, yep. you know, my suggestion is don't touch it. I mean, yeah, it might taste good, but... You know, you I can make anything taste good. It doesn't mean yeah. I put any, any of the active ingredients. So. Or at uh, bare minimum, expect any of those things to be in the can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so so those are kind of the big ones. I mean, if it's a botanical, the last one I would add is if it's a botanical and they don't include the part that's used, that's, again, like a red flag to say, you know what? I mean, so the law says, because they, the FDA is all about safety, the FTC is uh, their main interest is you know being truthful uh, and allowing the, the customer to be able to go do their own due diligence you know with enough information right and so if it just says like the name of an herb but it doesn't tell you the part that's used well I mean the law is clear that you have to if you're using a botanical so you can't just list you know in your ingredient deck you know ginseng you know you, well what part you know what did what you, you use? use what was the species so. So those, so those are, are the, you know, kind of some of the little, little check marks, marks that are, that are you know, you have, you have to, to kind of go through it. And once, once you do it enough times, you, it, it gets a little faster on, on checking it off and being like, okay, well, there's a, there's a lot of these things that, that are popping up, so maybe I should step away. And then... Yeah. Go ahead. And as, yeah, I was going to say, and as far as things to ask for... So there are a couple documents that every company has to do, right? I mean, so there's four... Four things, things that you can request from a company, um, especially, you know, as influencers, but any customer can call and ask customer service for this. They should have them, and they shouldn't be concerned with giving them out. One is called a Section 6 notification. It's not I mean, Section 6. It's a shortened version. But So if they're making a claim on a product, the law says that they have 30 days to file this documentation with the FDA to, to give the substantiation for making that claim. So again, to use that green tea example is that if you make a claim 
that it's, you know, increases thermogenesis, uh, then you have to submit your, that claim and any other claims you're making on that product and each study and the FTC is clear on, you know, on kind of what kind of evidence is required, but, and that you can cite. And so you as a consumer could request that section six notification. Hey, send me your substantiation for all these claims. And, you know, the, uh, again, this is really unfortunate. It, it keeps me in business. My, you know, my consulting side of my business is predominantly creating Section Six notifications for the, you know, near 100% of companies I deal with that don't file. And it's unfortunate on uh, how little that happens. And so, you know, good business for me, uh, but bad for consumers because, you know, I, it, it's unfortunate. I can only imagine, you know, what else these other co- these companies aren't doing. Ask for a Section 6 notification. And if you're seeing like that they're using nothing but animal rodent data, they're not, if the study they cite doesn't even roughly, roughly if it doesn't have the same, same dose as what's in the product, product you, know, you know, if the, the product, product is very, very best, best an ingredient in, in but they, they use, use a, a, a study, study to cite that, that, you know, has a, you know, 20 gram amount of something. something. You know, you see a lot of like MCT oils. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, if you, you know, if that's, that's the case, case then, then it's it's a nice, nice clarification that they don't, they don't understand formulation either. either. Another, Another document, document you can ask for is uh, it's their product safety and efficacy uh, substantiation. So it kind of runs hand in hand with the notification. But internally, if the FDA and FTC, or if the FDA or the FTC were to show up at the doors of a a company, uh, FDAs do audits regularly, but they typically only look for the basic quality things out on the production floor, very food-based cleanliness type things. But they could ask to see your safety uh, documentation, efficacy documentation, what makes you think that your finished formula uh, and all of your ingredients you've included and the sources that you've used, what makes those uh, safe for a consumer, you know, reasonably safe for a consumer. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so there are four things. I'll just I'll list them here quick, and I'll just I'll try to quickly run back through what they are. Uh, so, section six notification is is one uh, product safety and efficacy substantiation. So, like uh, their their zip file of all their information on the product. That product that you're holding in your hand or you're interested in, ask for the lot the lot number, specific certificate of analysis or C of A. And then lastly, if there is a shelf life or a best by date printed on that bottle, you know, best by this date or expires by this date, ask to get a copy of the their shelf life stability data. And so the Section 6 notification, you know, I described a little bit before, that's a requirement. Every claim that gives you what the substantiation is allows you then to go in and see Hey, if they're if they're doing a uh, if their label is showing you know only you know 500 milligrams of arginine and they're making claims you know on growth hormone effects of arginine or or blood flow effects of arginine you know uh, and they're using those that that data well then clearly they're underdosing their product um, the the substantiation the the second one the the file of all their efficacy and and safety data that's the one that you're probably least likely to get just because it is a mass it should be if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing it should be a mass pretty large file uh you know that uh that the fda 
or FTC, or if they get into legal lawsuits, they would have to have on on file. Um, that one they may be less likely to give you just because it is pretty big. And most companies I find just have things all spread around. Uh, the lot number specific C of A, they absolutely should have that readily available. Um, and so if they're, if they're refusing to give that, um, I'd be really concerned. Um, there's a company out there right now, um, you know, claiming, you know, to be fully transparent and, you know, I don't, uh, again, I don't, don't have a problem throwing a company under the bus. I want them to get better at it. You know, they call themselves Transparency Labs, and yeah, you know, they show their CFA. Well, you know, they're using a a lab that you know was on 60 Minutes for dry labbing, and and their tests don't even show that they've got some. Uh, they're not doing true identity composition testing. Uh, they're they've got no ranges, so it's by input. And so what I mean by that is you know, they're, they're not actually, their labels have all their ingredients on it. Uh, so they claim and the amounts that are present. Well, the catch 22 of that is if, if you've got a label that shows every ingredient and the dose you claim to be present, well, then you have to be able to, to validate that. And, a and, a uh, an IR. So I, uh, so using what's called your, uh, infrared, uh, spectrometry. So it's a, it's just a, it's a light wave to say like, Hey, this is the same product we made before. Doesn't, uh, isn't valid as a consistent test on, on showing, uh, that you've got 500 milligrams of arginine or whatever you're claiming down your, down your list. And so you have to be able to show that you've set ranges and that you're using a qualified test. So unless that C of A says, I use an example. So it's arginine, you know, and it tells you to use an HPLC USP method and you give a range that it's plus or minus 3% of label claim, right? And that, and the result in that C of A should either show pass or give an actual number, right? And so just to go down the list and not present that kind of information, uh, not include the testing is is really a joke of a C of A and you know, it doesn't, it does take some expertise to understand that, but, uh, but they should be able to provide it to you. And if you have more questions, shoot, send it over. I'll be happy to sit there and criticize or critique people's C of A's. If I can get more people doing things better than great. Uh, the last one, the shelf life stability, if somebody's got a best by date, the, and here's the thing that people need to understand. The FDA doesn't require it. Uh, GNC requires you to have a best by date. Walmart requires you to have a best by date. Target requires you to have a best by date. Costco does. And so companies that are doing business with places like that will put a best by date on it. But as soon as you do, well, then you better have the, the actual analytical data to show that at expiration that your product uh, still maintains identity, purity, potency, and composition. And so... Uh, unfortunately, that's an area where most companies are not investing at all, and you know they'll just rubber stamp it to your shelf life. So, as for those four things, look for those other you know red flags. Uh, some of the other you know uh, things to to look for. I don't know if we have time, Mike. I mean, you know, certification stamps, you know, or or you know the banned substance testing, you know, certifications. I mean, all those are wonderful. And I can tell you good or bad if you have any interest in kind of understanding the, uh, if you think that the listeners would 
would be interested in hearing uh, on on that and what that actually means. Yeah, we might do that in a future episode because that could be its okay, own cool. world, especially if you're dealing with athletes that are drug tested and things of that nature. Sure. And I mean, I can just echo what you said too about the shelf life, for just lack of a better term, that. You know, I spent 12 years working in the medical device industry and I worked in testing all different facets. And man, the amount of money that they would spend to look at if we have a pacemaker or defibrillator that sits on your shelf for a year or two years or whatever we say it is to verify that that's actually true, we would do accelerated life testing. But then we would have to back up that data with, you know, real time data. So we would take you know, devices that would cost many thousands of dollars and take tons of them in different subcomponents and literally put them on a shelf and let them sit for two years and then go test them. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the amount of, you think about the time frames that you want to test then, right? So maybe you only want to test to exactly two years, but maybe you want to test a little bit under or over to know where you're at in the process. And the amount of money you would need to spend to do that in an inventory to have and to house it and all that stuff, you know, it adds up pretty quick. So you can see that again, not that I agree with this, but why things that you would think are pretty simple, get complicated relatively fast. And that adds up to costing the company money. And there's probably people looking at the amount of money coming in, amount of money going out and going, Hey, most consumers are probably never looking at this thing. We can buy another two-page ad in a magazine for what this is going to cost us. Let's go with the magazine ad, yeah. you know? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Happens all the time. I mean, the lack of investment, especially in stability testing, because what they do is they just take a raw material, you know, the raw material. If each of your raw material suppliers sends you, you know, a quality document that says to your shelf life, you know, and you haven't, that's just in, and this is just more common than it's not common. And, you know, they don't dig deeper to say, send me your evidence, right. you know, Mr. Raw Material Supplier. Well, then what most companies will do is uh, they'll look at what what's the least shelf life. Well, it's one year. Well, you know, but everything else is two years. So let's just put two years. You know, are you okay with two years R&D team? And depending on the ethics of your quote-unquote yeah. R&D team or quality manager, then you know, you're at two-year shelf life. And, you know, the moisture, the heat, uh, Mike, I mean, in the medical devices, what a great example because it is, you know, when you are doing it right in the pharma, pharmaceuticals is kind of a funny one. You know, pharma is, you know, single ingredient, you know, and they're yeah. pretty stable and they'll, they'll do fine under most conditions, you know, in high heat because there's just not a lot of other stuff involved. And we're talking about essentially food, you know, where moisture levels are higher. Yep. It's a very diverse composition of active and inactive ingredients. You've got now probiotics that can obviously activate, you know, or, or affect, you know, decomposition of certain, you know, materials. You've got enzymes being added to things and, you know, and people are just rubber stamping. You're like, well, wait a second. You know, these, you know there's a very good chance that you're going to have metabolism uh, of these of these ingredients and then you know let's just face it there's so few companies that understand shelf life that they're doing you know at label dosing so what i mean by that is if somebody claims 200 milligrams of vitamin c 
Well, they don't. They formulate with 200 milligrams of vitamin C. First of all, they don't understand raw material specifications. Nothing is. Very few things are, you know, not less than 100 percent right. uh, of weight of that ingredient. But then, you know, vitamin C does its job. You know, it's, it's the the typical overage you would use would be a 50 percent overage. You know, of vitamin C in some cases 200 percent overages for vitamin C just to make sure that because it's going to oxidize, it's going to protect other ingredients. And so if you want to be able to show vitamin C, I mean, the World Health Organization standards for fortified foods is 200% overages for vitamin C to maintain shelf life and to give still potency at that dose. And a lot of companies just don't even, don't even get into overages, forget about loss and manufacturing. And so... It is, man. It's uh, it's unfortunate how how at the mercy you know consumers are based on. Hey, do I trust this person who's on social media, who looks like me, who trains like me, who talks like me? So I should be able to trust them. And they say that they're legit, and they say they know science. And there's a there's a, a couple companies you know recently that you know. I've came in contact with with this last group that you know uh whatever i won't defame anybody but um but they're you know this person he goes around and does huge lectures for good amounts of money sponsors a lot of crossfit games his brand and you know lays himself out as a legit expert and he so didn't do any quality control zero and as far as as far as R and D formulation, you know, what we behind the scenes refer to them as paper napkin formulators. Like, you know, I want, you know, they'll sit at the bar with you and write, I want, uh, I want taurine, I want arginine. I mean, that's all they know is, you know, what are the, what are the, you know, uh, bait, the bait ingredients, you know, that they want to have on a label but they know nothing about dosing. They know to make claims. They know nothing about specifications or any of this other stuff. And so it's really, it's, it is unfortunate. You know, I'd love to, you know, sit down and, and just go to town on your know, brands that are out there doing that. But obviously I think I'd be sued by everybody. And, uh, you know, my wife and I don't have the cash for that. Yeah. Yeah. Two questions left. We got about eight minutes and, what are your thoughts on this advice? Because, you know, you get this question all the time. And, you know, I do some affiliate recommendations through my newsletter. I don't do a ton. And, you know, 95% of the time I can call the CEO and at least I know the people running it. And, again, it's still kind of a value judgment. You do your best you can to get as much information. But what are your thoughts about for consumers just calling the company and asking them for the items you mentioned, even if they don't have, say, the technical expertise to, to try to look at it and dissect it, but just the fact that a, a company would even, one, listen to them, two, even try to provide any information, might be kind of a useful back-of-the-envelope checklist, because I found that if you're a company in the supplement industry and you're trying to do everything you know, by, by the letter, it's costing you a lot of money to do that. And most of those companies that I've interacted with are pretty excited to actually show you what they're doing because it, it is so different and are 
trying to market to, I'd say, more higher-end consumers that are uh, demanding that. What is your thoughts about that general advice? I think it's one of the great advice, Mike. I mean, give them a call and, you know, if customer service, if they're willing to send it to you, if, you know, if, if, if the response you get back is what is a section six, <laughs> you know, yeah. hang, hang, hang Uh-oh. <laughs> now the customer service rep, you know, I'm going to guess that, you know, just knowing internal customer service, not all of them are going to know these terms, right. but, but they can look into you know, it and be like, have, Hey, I don't know. Yeah, I'll go check. They're going to send that over to the quality assurance right. department if they have one. As, and as you know, if you've been around some of these, I mean, the quality assurance person is usually some other sales guy who's taking on that role. It's a small yeah. company, and we'll put it on you know, the FDA test. requires <laughs> yeah requires you to have training and and some formal expertise in that in that area. And, but if they ask what's a section six, what's a C of A, I mean, <laughs> you know, right then to kind of run, you know, what's uh, what's stability testing, and so yeah, uh, so yeah. But I absolutely, I think it's a great you know, great way to assess. And, you know, you'll also find out about the customer service if they're very defensive. You, well, we don't share that. Well, yeah. why, why don't you? Well, it's proprietary. Well, no, it's, no, it's, it's not. blackout, <laughs> you know, blackout the proprietary right. parts of your C of A, but the other stuff is, is for public information. So, you know, so I would, they're making claims. What are their substantiation for those claims? You, there's, you absolutely should be allowed to see that. So, well, I'll say, I'll say two things to close then, Mike. First yeah. of all, thank you uh, for the opportunity and for the invite to have me here, you and Phil and uh, Lonnie. And just uh, really appreciate it. I've been you know, fans of what you guys have been doing uh, for years, so really appreciate uh, being having the opportunity to come on. And then uh, lastly, I mean, I can't not close. You know, if you're going to bring up idealism and, and uh, you know, the utopian vision, uh, one of my favorite criticisms uh that I don't look at as a criticism as much as a compliment was uh, uh, a article I wrote years ago that was critical of uh, liquid creatine. If you remember that oh, yeah. uh, back in the day, another kind of junk product and, yep. and uh, they were a big advertiser for muscle and fitness and flex. And you know, I had, uh, uh, and Joe Weider calls me up late one night, you know, finds out that I had, drafted this you know newsletter about it and, and one of his statements he said he goes oh cross i love you but he goes you're he goes you're an idealist you'll never make it in business like that that's why you're a writer <laughs> and i just <laughs> I, I, i've always said for you i said for years you know i didn't take that negatively i took that as you know like you're right i'm, I'm probably not the best business guy because i do I do worry about the consumer like my, cause I am at heart. I love the industry. I love what it stands for. I love what it's potential. You know, I love, you know, the feeling of going in and feeling good after a workout or during a workout and, you know, and raising my kids that way. And I, and so, yeah, to look at the utopian way of, uh, I hope I don't ever lose that side of it, you know, whether I never make a dollar in business or not. So, so I'll leave you with that utopian statement as well. So. Yeah, and where can people find out more information about you? I know you're transitioning into the more academic role, or if there's companies looking to do stuff the, the right way, want to reach out to you, what's the best way? Um, so best way is just uh, through my Facebook uh, page probably or LinkedIn, you know, any of those. Just look up Dr. Chris Lockwood. You should be able to find 
my uh, my page, um, whether it's on Instagram or LinkedIn or, or Facebook or Twitter, you know, any of those, uh, you can get me. I've got a website, but, uh, you know, I uh, was too nice and paid the kid money in advance and then never seen it, saw him again. So, And I really, just like <laughs> we couldn't do Skype, just like we couldn't figure out Skype today, I'm, I can ruin technology. And so I, I really have, I, I need to get a website at some point. So just uh, any through Facebook or whatever, you can contact me and I'll give you personal information after that. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Take care, Mike. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. uh, Knee sleeves. Wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.